Has your fuse box gone haywire? Is your water pressure too weak? Or maybe your boiler needs an upgrade? They don't last forever, you know. Well, the good news is that there's a local hero in Dublin for that. So if a block sink is not helping with Wednesday's hump day, take the hassle out of it with localheroes.ie. Our online service connects you with trusted tradespeople in your area and all work comes with a 12-month guarantee backed by Borgosh Energy. Try it out while listening to your podcast. You could get a quote in minutes at localheroes.ie. TNCs apply. Visit localheroes.ie for full details. Back on track with Bobby Kerr. Hello and welcome to Back on Track. Our aim is to find out how businesses have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, how they've adapted and what the outlook is for each sector moving forward. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be focusing on the tech industry, and we've gathered a panel of experts and industry leaders to discuss what's happening. I'm delighted to be joined by technology journalist Andy O'Donoghue, Phil Codd is the Managing Director at Explio, and Liam O'Brien is the Vodafone Ireland's Director of Strategy and Corporate Affairs. You're all very welcome to the programme. Uh, Phil Codd, I might start with you, if I may. Um, the tech industry uh, and the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, lots of change, lots of movement, lots of people having to do things very quickly. Just can you give us maybe a sort of a high level um, impact that the pandemic has had on the sector? And I know there are various, I suppose, winners and losers, but maybe just give us your thoughts on that if you would. Sure. I think that the tech industry overall has done okay during COVID. Um, in the main, certainly the, the no, larger tech companies were, certainly the larger tech companies already had the, the infrastructure in, in place. Um, but the big change was obviously people working from home and that required um, cybersecurity to be taken into consideration, uh, infrastructural needs. So did your people have laptops that were secure? Do they have mobile phones? Because obviously not everybody has great internet capability. So being able to use your mobile phone as, as an internet device was important. Uh, but also the, 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 the kind of the corporate in, in infrastructure had to be there to suddenly support hundreds, if not thousands of people working from home. So I think that was the big challenge. But in the main, I see that, you know, so many of the, the tech companies moved rapidly. You know, we, we, we saw from Indeed, we saw from Facebook and, and, and for, for Xplio, we were up and running uh, within days and we were up and running within probably uh, two weeks globally, including, uh, you know, our offshore counterparts in places like South Africa and India, which was a challenge. Yeah. And you don't know, who, uh, you know, we, we look at the likes of Twitter and Facebook uh, they sort of led the way with socially responsible initiatives, you know, telling people that, uh, and I think in, was it in, in Facebook's case, you can work at home for as long as you, as long as you want to. Well, it, that seems to be the case, Bobby, that um, not just uh, Facebook, but Twitter, certainly, I think, were the first to, uh, to announce that, that, you know, people were going to have the option to, if they didn't want to come back to, uh, to the office until next year, um, that's, was going to be okay and now it looks like 
many say Twitter staff, Facebook staff may never um, return to the office. I think why it was important that Facebook and Twitter did that first in a sense was that it sort of paved the way for, for startups, for smaller companies who were probably wondering what they should do. And when they saw those announcements from, you know, big tech, um, it made them feel more comfortable about letting people work from home. Also companies, startups that were going to have that challenge of not just infrastructure, but space. And, you know, okay, we had 10 employees. Now we need room for 25 to get them back to the office. So, Big tech taking the lead certainly helped. Yeah. And, you know, again, staying with the working from home, uh, companies like uh, Zoom to Microsoft, we'll hear from Vodafone in a minute, but um, they really, really, you know, saw the upside. Well, there's no, there's no doubt, Bobby, that, you know, a company like Zoom um, literally rode that uh, that crest of wave of new signups and users. And in the middle of that, we saw them, you know, the uh, uh, onboarding this incredible number of people. And then Microsoft, say Microsoft, like Microsoft Teams, um, which had seen, you know, a significant uptake and really positive uh, talk from uh, small companies to large companies. And then Halfway through sort of the, the, those 14 weeks, um, we saw Microsoft adding lots of new features to Microsoft Teams. We saw other people um, starting to add features and plugins for, you know, all the other homeworking and video tools like Slack and Zoom and Microsoft. So there is no doubt that, you know, companies that were prepared for this environment and they didn't know that they were prepared for it in a way. Um, you know, it was about home working or remote working, but the companies who were prepared have certainly done very well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's bring in our next guest, Liam O'Brien. He's Vodafone Ireland's director of strategy and corporate affairs. Good morning, to you, Liam. Good morning, Bobby. Now, tell us a little bit about uh, your own experience, Liam, um, and Vodafone's indeed uh, with the, uh, I suppose, the, the the move to work from home. What challenges or opportunities did it bring your business? Yeah, so it's not, I think as uh, as Phil mentioned, um, you know, when this when this struck, I suppose companies like Vodafone, you know, when we have a obviously a global presence, so we have operations in places like Italy and and Spain. So we have been sort of tracking the uh, as with the rising threat for for many weeks. So we were probably well prepared uh, to uh, to initiate our plans when when we made that decision. So literally within you know 24 hours, we had 1,200 people working from home. Uh, in Ireland and you know even across the world and other Vodafone organizations but another thousand staff who support us also working from home um, and I suppose that was at the time when you know demand was probably never never greater we saw almost nine months of traffic growth uh, literally within nine days on the network um, and that was a you know a big extra demand on the network but a big change in the terms of you know the, the time of day in which we saw peaks of traffic and of course as we were doing that our customers you know who were very reliant upon us uh, for connectivity, we're also obviously looking to do the same. So, you know, everything from consumer customers who are looking for gigabit broadband so they could work from home themselves or so that maybe their kids could study from home. We had all sides of customers from the largest corporates to the smallest Sohos, you know, all of us was looking to work with us to understand how they could enable themselves to work from home. And I think as Phil mentioned, everything from security solutions right through to VPN solutions and, and connectivity itself. And, you know, we, we put a dedicated team in place and we probably spoke to thousands of small and medium-sized customers over the course of March and April, you know, really to understand what they were looking for and how we could help them. And, you know, one, one thing we reacted very quickly with was that there was a concern from some customers, you know, about data usage, for example. So 
So, you know, we, we listened to that and we, we reacted and we actually launched unlimited data plans right across all of our consumer and business uh, segments um, in, in, I think it was in the end of April or, or early May. Again, all that work done from home, even the advertisement that we, we ran on TV was all created at home uh, from our agency. So, you know, a, a, lot to, a lot was done very, very quickly. Okay. All right. You're listening to the Back on Track podcast. Uh, we are talking about the tech industry. My guests are Andy O'Donoghue. He's a technology journalist. Phil Codd, the managing director of Explio, and Liam O'Brien, the Vodafone Ireland's Director of Strategy and Corporate Affairs. Um, if I can come back to you, Phil, um, if we talk about, um, again, every we, we heard over the last three months that every business had to become a digitalised version of itself. In other words, every business had to embrace online at some level. And, you know, it was probably more significant for some sectors than others, if we look at maybe some examples, if we take retail, for instance, where, you know, there's always been uh, strong online growth. But if we take some retail, you know, uh, didn't have an online presence, they, they got one very quickly. And, you know, they say it takes, I don't know, 60 days to, to form a habit. But there's been a move towards permanent online sales from a retail perspective that will probably never be reversed. Yeah, I think you're right. What we saw, if we look across kind of three broad uh, types of, of uh, change that took place, uh, we saw flex, fix and freeze. So flex were those organizations that were able to, to thrive really within COVID. And, and you mentioned retail, online sales, the likes of Amazon. Uh, the supermarkets did a fantastic job of keeping us all fed and watered throughout that time. And, and, and again, they, they, if they didn't have an online presence, we saw smaller uh, symbol type o- operators starting to provide uh, online shopping for, for, for local people. So that was that was a great thing. I think the the um, the, the fix were, were people who had to suddenly pivot um, their business. A great example would be would be taxi drivers. Um, you know, they no longer were taxi drivers. They they got into the delivery business, mm. and the delivery business was one that 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 boomed. I mean, on past had Christmas every day uh, this year, so that you know, so we saw that. And then you see the kind of freeze, which is those organisations that that just literally stopped. We we know about the hospitality sector, we know about the aviation sector, but also in the manufacturing, uh, automotive and, and aero. I mean, Boeing and, and Airbus have have just stopped for now. Uh, so, so those are the kind of impacts that that, that that have had, and each one of them have have different needs, and therefore, from a, from a tech point of view, it's about finding out what are the difficulties that they're, they're that they're seeing. Um, you know, it, it's not just about working from home. It's as uh, as Liam says, it's about how do I get you know the same capacity of people into my into my office now? Well, guess what? I can't. I know in our case, you know, we're down to 12 people in, in an 8,000 square foot office, uh, which would normally have 60 people. Yeah. So, you know, each and every um, uh, industry has had uh, its, its, its quirk. My, my, my favorite one was, was one I read in California where uh, a shop that, that sells uh, legally available uh, cannabis, um, they moved online. Uh, you call them up, you, you place your order, and then you drive up, uh, tell them you're outside, and they come out with your, with your favorite bag of, of herb. Uh, but they do limit you to, to three spliffs a day, which I thought was commendable. Uh, Andy, uh, I hope you weren't at that at that uh, takeaway that, that Phil was talking about there. But if we talk about uh, things like food delivery, again, Just Eat, Uber, Deliveroo, um, is, is, is it their time now? Like, again, 
the way we consume food has changed forever, has it not? I think that's a great question, Bobby. It's one that I suspect the answer is yes, and I think time will tell. But when you look at the surge of, you know, delivery, Just Eat, I mean, in the middle of the pandemic, we had Uber and Just Eat both talking about acquisitions and mergers. So it was interesting that the way the, way the market was shaping up. However, I do think that, you know, we've had um, so far, you know, is it, is it 15 weeks uh, or, or close to it, certainly, of, um, you know, people ordering from home, people now sort of maybe treating themselves midweek uh, and more so at the weekends. And I think that's a really hard habit to break for people. And I think, you know, if we do see, um, you know, a delayed um, opening or even people being, you know, uncomfortable for a while to go to a busy restaurant or pub, will they still be able to support them by eating at home? Yes. And is that habit likely to continue? To continue, I really think it is, Bobby. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Uh, and and you know, Liam, if we look at you know businesses like uh, restaurants, bars, technology can be their friend if they're operating on reduced capacity, maybe increased demand. You know, things like advanced booking systems and all that sort of uh, communication on your mobile will become much more important for both the operator and for the user. I, I fully agree, Bobby. I think, you know, one thing we sort of reflected upon is that, you know, even if this had happened even five or seven years ago, um, how different it would have been, I suppose, as an experience for all of us in terms of working from home or trying to run our businesses online. You know, the, the technology wasn't, just wasn't there. Um, and I suppose, you know, we, we, we say and we said for many years that, you know, technology is an enabler of business and it, it allows us to innovate and to, uh, to do things differently. And I suppose never has that been probably more apparent than in the last three or four months, but never has it been more front of, front of center and front of mind. And, you know, I'd I resonate with what, what, the, what the, the other said there. You know, even for, even for us in Vodafone, we have, we have to close our almost 100 retail stores around the country. Um, and I suppose thankfully we had invested in some um, capabilities to allow us to, to sell and to care for customers online and we saw a real big uptick in that um, yeah. over that period and, and again we expect that that won't go back down when customers get used to that that I suppose, um, you know uh, capability and the, and the ease of being able to buy things online being able to get customer care online I think you know there, there'll be a new level that we'll settle back at um, and actually one of our customers and it's not, it's not just technology companies I think who, who embrace these changes one of our customers uh, who we've been, I suppose, proud enough to feature in some of our advertisements is uh, Pat Doyle and Ballymooney Foods and Clane. And Pat runs a, you know, a very successful specialist meat suppliers business. And and you know he, in his own words, I suppose, has used the mentality of you know, don't waste a good crisis. And you know he recognises himself that actually his sort of attitude before this was, you know what, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Was actually in the middle of this crisis, you know, his business was broken. You know, I think in his own his own admission, he was down probably fifty percent or more. So he had to innovate, and he actually felt, you know, the the environment was almost there for risk taking to take a chance and try something different. And he set up a new online wholesale business uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, very interesting. Um, Phil, have we, uh, you know, we've heard talk of a cashless society before. You know, when are we going to get it? Is it here? I, I think it is. Uh, each year I, I, I do a blog around uh, December about what's going to happen in uh, the following year. So for 2020, I talked about the cashless society really taking off. Uh, the number of transactions have astronomically increased, um, and that's benefited us. It's benefited the banks. Uh, there's less cash moving around. 
Um, for me personally, I, I, I've been cashless for about uh, a year and a half now. Um, and I, I, I just just don't carry cash if, if I can avoid it. Um, and, you know, we've seen generation changes. Um, you know, older people who've, who've got a bank account but have never had a card have gone and got a card and have gone cashless. It's, it's easier. It's quicker. And actually, I, I think you save money because if you buy something for, uh, you know, two euros and, and 80 cents, that 20 cents, if you buy it in cash, will sit on uh, uh, somewhere next to your bed or in a, in a pot. Yeah. Um, now it stays in your bank. So, you know, there's, there's lots of benefits to going cashless. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Andy? Oh, it's interesting, Bobby. Uh, cashless, you know, I mean, uh, Sweden and a couple of other countries have certainly led the way. Um, the pandemic has, I think, hastened our journey. What was interesting for me is I saw a couple of my friends with uh, with sort of young children and uh, uh, their kids, um, instead of giving them pocket money, of course, they, they started, I think it was the Revolut Junior account. And uh, so their kids, I think it's from 7 to 14 or 7 to 17 is the age that they're pitched at. But what that meant was they were able to buy their own stuff online and also start to learn kind of a responsible attitude to, uh, to money as a bonus. So I thought it was really interesting to see that, you know, we have a crisis that triggers, you know, positive actions like that. Yeah, I know. I, I've been victim to the, you can just revolute me, Dad, uh, <laughs> to, to understand the terminology. I have to say, I, I, I got the sharp end of that one. Uh, Liam, uh, if we look at some uh, businesses that have maybe changed forever, uh, things maybe like gyms, uh, uh, maybe uh, hospitals, you know, tech plays will continue to play an even greater role in businesses that maybe will have less people interaction. Would that be fair to say? No, I, I think that's that's completely fair, Bobby. You know, even my even myself, I I, I had uh, experienced my my first um, video consultation with a doctor uh, there during April, which I something I'd never done before. And you know, and so when you when you again when you get used to the ease of which you can do that, when you can access health services or other services digitally, I think you know it, it creates a probably a mind shift in terms of, you know, actually, well, why would we go back to the old way of doing things? And, you know, I know lots of people have been doing online Zoom fitness classes and the like, and I know even my own gym now is running those online classes, probably, you know, ongoing. So I think it opens up a whole new market as well to people, which I think is something, uh, especially for a small Ireland nation like ourselves in Ireland, is a great opportunity because no longer are people constrained to the physical, to the physical infrastructure and the physical environment. You know, they can, they can actually look beyond the island to potential new markets. And I think that also has one of, probably one of those you know, big opportunities that this crisis has uh, is allowed us to think about. Um, Phil, the tech industry is is highly valued in relation to the the actual jobs that are created there. They're they're high value jobs, and they tend to be bring with it, uh, you know, a spend in a particular area wherever those tech jobs are. How can we be sure that we safeguard? the tech industry here in Ireland, you know, the multinationals, uh, even the indigenous tech, but to be sure that we're, you know, creating uh, new businesses, we're creating uh, R&D facilities within existing business, but just to make sure that we're best in class, indeed best in Europe, and keep these high valuable jobs in this country. Yeah, I think the IDA have got to keep their foot on the gas. Um, I know that over the last number of months, uh, the, the number of FTIs that have been looking at Ireland or even looking around has, has gone down, but that's just a natural um, cause of, of the, the, the slowdown in, in mobility. 
But if you think about Ireland, we've been so successful with uh, foreign direct investment. And I, I think one of the problems that we've probably suffered from is, is that kind of conurbation around the Dublin area or around Galway or maybe Cork. Now people can, can work anywhere within the country and indeed uh, outside. But I think we'll see uh, a movement of, of people outside of the, the metropolitan area of Dublin. And that's got to be good for us because it means that we can actually attract further investment. Uh, from yeah. these sort of companies without having to say, well, wh- you know, where are we going to put the office and where are these people going to live? Because now they can live where they come from. Yeah, so I, I think, think that, that, that could be thing. hugely beneficial to rural Ireland. Yeah, uh, I think so. Uh, so what we've got to make sure is that we've got the, the infrastructure and, um, you know, that we've got the, the sort of ubiquitous um, connectivity that we need to, to the internet. And obviously the National Broadband Programme is, is, is part of that. Um, I think the government have got to accelerate that. They have said that they will do. Um, but I think they've got to kind of quadruple that acceleration mm. um, to get it because, uh, you know, the, the internet fragility is not just in rural Ireland. You have it in, in pockets of, uh, of, of major cities, obviously, because, you know, we're all trying to share that, that same bandwidth. So I think 5G is, is, uh, is important, and, and I'm sure Liam will pick up yeah, on that. No, but but that's, that's the kind of thing that it's, it's going to really make us uh, remain that kind of champion in, in Ireland. And just before we bring Liam in on the National Broadband Plan and indeed 5G, are we training enough people uh, for these tech jobs? In other words, have we got, is the supply of graduates coming out in data analytics and, you know, all these high-value jobs, is the pipeline strong enough from an educational perspective? I think it is, but we, you know, ultimately we just don't have enough people in the country to to service what what that demand could be. So, uh, the great thing about being part of the European Union is that people can can gravitate from other countries and and come to Ireland and and love to do that. You know, we can see that we've got, uh, you know, in the last let's say fifteen years, uh, we've become this great melting pot of uh, of people from Europe and farther afield. So, I think the universities do a tremendous job of creating really first-class grads in, in computer science. Um, but we're also interested in, you know, people that may have uh, business interests. So looking at, at people that have degrees across, um, you know, all disciplines um, is important. But I think the, you know, the, the, the tech uh, creation from the universities, I think it has to start earlier. I think we've got to get that happening in, um, in schools. I think it probably has to start earlier if it's not already in, uh, in the junior schools into the secondary schools and then, uh, you know, uh, out into the uh, into okay. the third level. Because, you know, we've got great programs like Coda Dojo, which teaches 10-year-olds mm-hmm. to write code in. So actually, 10-year-olds don't need to go to college anymore. We should employ them yeah. um, and, you know, put, and send them up chimneys in the evening. Um, Liam, just, just to bring you back in there on, you know, the, the, the fact that they're now potentially, and it is good news that, you know, there could be a more even spread across the country around employment uh, for high-value tech jobs. But connectivity and making sure that those people in Car Savine or in Car Daniel are properly connected is, is, is going to be ever more important. Completely. And, you know, I mentioned earlier on that, you know, if, if this had happened five or seven years ago, we'd be in a much different position and how we're much better placed now today. Um, but the reality is that there are still over 500,000 homes and probably mainly small businesses in not just rural Ireland, as, as Phil said, I think also in pockets of, of urban Ireland who can't get access to high quality broadband. And you know, we, we've seen this trend actually going back probably a number of years because uh, we, we have a joint venture company with the ESB called Syro, which has been building fibre to the home 
in rural Ireland for the last almost six years, and we've passed now over 400,000 homes and businesses can access that. Um, and you know, when we, when we were doing that, we, we saw the transformative power that has on rural Ireland. And so it started probably for us in Skibbereen, where you know, we effectively connected all the town in Skibbereen, all 2,000 homes, and then a, a business hub called the Ludgate in Skibbereen. And to see the economic impact that has on the environment, but also the social impact on people coming back to live in the town, you know, the GA club having enough people to play games again, um, you know, it really trans- transformed and revitalized the town. And you know, as a result of that, actually about two years ago, we rolled out that program into another 15 remote working hubs around other rural towns uh, across Ireland. And I suppose now that probably really is seen to be actually a, a great opportunity of just how you know, connectivity, which brings jobs, which brings people to live in those areas, can help transform uh, the community. And then there's, there's so many benefits of that, um, from everything from work-life balance to removing pressure on, on transport and pressure on housing in the urban areas. I think, as Phil said, we need probably to have more people in Ireland, but we can't have them all in Dublin. That just isn't going to work. So uh, I, I'd agree. I think you know we also welcome the government's acceleration and plan to accelerate the national broadband plan. I think it's uh, definitely well needed. Okay. okay, Andy, can I just bring you in on that? Um, you know, these we we just talked there about the the high value jobs that these are. Um, is there any concerns, or are the concerns around tech jobs? I suppose displacing that. While tech jobs are valuable, there may not be enough of them, you know, in terms of the actual amount of people employed. Are there any concerns that that as tech improves, that manual employment, let's call it, I know it's a bad word, Mm. but could could be actually displaced by tech? Should people be fearful? uh, I I don't think we should be fearful. That would be, you know, being fearful of the future is never a good thing, Bobby. I think what we, you know, it's not so much displacement as replacement. I think, and you know, as as some um, manual labour work is displaced by robotics, uh, you know, we've seen that's been going on for decades. And you know, in this, you know, what's the tech business going to do? It's certainly going to affect um, on. It's going to affect real world retail, but but you know, retailers still need to um, get their products ready, to pack them, to ship them, to deal with customer service. Um, you know, in, in other areas where we use manual labor, um, are we going to see a, a huge upsurge to equal the amount with jobs like, you know, data scientists or even programmers themselves? We're not going to see identical jobs, but what we are going to see is that, you know, the labor market will change and uh, almost like sort of, I think, like almost like the Earth's crust moving very slowly. Mm-hmm. Because what you'll see is, you know, people and... You know, uh, people with soft skills will now be needed um, and with uh, business analysis skills. But, you know, lots of people will move into the technology business, even though they never thought that they were going to work in the tech business. So there's not going to be a huge stop and start, but the labor market will certainly transition over the next uh, five and ten years. Yeah. And, and, and you know, uh, Phil mentioned robotics there. Um, just, just to bring you in on that, Phil, uh, robotics... Uh, Andy says it's been happening for years. Uh, you're very close to that area. Um, where is where where is Ireland placed in relation to big developments around that? I, well, I see uh, lots of organisations around uh, around Dublin and and, and f- further afield making use of robotic process automation. Um, but but as Andy says, it's been around a long time. I mean, if you think about uh, at the end of the month. Uh, something goes off. Uh, I'm a Vodafone customer. It looks at my usage. It works out my tariff. It sends me my bill. I get it electronically um, in, a, in a beautiful PDF form. 
and it sends me a nice email and a message. Yeah. All of that happens electronically, and all of that is 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 if you like robotics. It's software enabled. Um, nobody touches it. Um, you know, twenty years ago, uh, that may have been all typed up uh, in a, in in my bank as my bank statement was sent out. So that's the kind of change, and none of us actually flinch when that happens. So um, you know, when we talk about robotics, it is about software that that enables us to do those those you know, tireless tasks where um, they're, they're repeatable, yeah. they're easy to do, and actually, you know, the, the value that they add is probably enabling other people to get on, as I've said before, with, uh, you know, helping customers um, and, and, and creating better customer experience. Where, where you think from the neck down, isn't that it? Those, yeah, that? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Coder Dojo there, and you mentioned, like, you know, we take the traditional educational system, you go to uh, primary school, secondary school, college, you go on some sort of graduate program and you hopefully end up, is is there a way of short circuiting, you know, you t- say people are good at coding age 10, like do they, does it have to be, the, the educational, current educational route seems to be very circuitous in that it, it, it could easily be shortened, I'd suggest, that you get apprenticeships in data analytics or robotics or that kind of thing. Should we not be seeing a lot more of that? I, I think we should. I, I think third level does a lot of things today. Um, you know, it, it, it enables young people to grow up um, and acquire skills that perhaps they don't. So it's, it's not necessarily the, the degree they do, but the fact that they can work on their own, they can work as a team, they can produce things. Um, I, I also think there's there's a great sway of people who don't make third level education and we're not tapping into them for whatever reason, economic, social. Um, it's just not their thing in terms of uh, uh, academia, but they've got capability um, yeah. and they've got uh, the, the the ability to turn their hands to these things. Uh, over the years, I've met some some great software people who kind of started life as, as plumbers or bricklayers. Um, but actually, you know, it, they had a great aptitude for, for, for logic and, and figuring things out. And that was the, the kind of drive. So I think we're not doing apprenticeships in the way we need to. I think we've got to look at how we bring more people into uh, the, the educated force, because if they're finishing school at 16, um, you know, what are they doing then? And we've got to do a, a job on that. And, and really, you know, apprenticeships were the thing that helped soak that up before. And we've got to look at that again. Yeah. Uh, Liam, maybe uh, last piece to you. Uh, the mobile phone has been front and central to all our lives. Uh, we all seem to be getting closer and closer to the product. And in fact, many of us can't live without it. What, what are the thoughts or what is the high-level strategic thoughts around where that device is going or where are we going next uh, in terms of of smartphones and what, what can we expect to see over the next couple of years? Yeah, so um, $60, $64 million question, I suppose. Um, I've been in this industry for almost 25 years, uh, Bobby, and you know, when I when I started in the in the phone business, that actually was a phone business. You know, people used it just, just to make calls and send texts. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not even sure we could send texts actually when I started <laughs> working. Um, and as was over the years, as we've evolved from 2G to 3G, 4G, 5G, um, you know, it's, it's effectively become obviously a lot smarter. It's still, it's still been a personal device that we have and we use. And obviously the value that we get from the device now is far beyond just calls and texts. It's everything from education and entertainment and communication and the like. And it's transformed many, so many sectors like music and, you know, and, 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 and mapping and, and everything else. Um, I think, you know, when we look into 5G, the one thing that that is going to deliver for us, and actually just coincidentally talking about robotics, when when we launched 5G in Ireland, we actually launched it with 
um, the UCC Assert Centre, which is a world-leading centre for research into robotic surgery, with Professor Barry O'Reilly down there in Cork, it's a, it, literally a, a global leading in, in, in robotic surgery. And, and that's, that to me is probably a foretaste of what 5G is about. It's often said, and it's a bit of a cliche, that 5G isn't just another G, because it's not just about the, the smartphone. It's actually about connecting everything, connecting other things that previously couldn't be connected, either because of cost or battery life. So the ability to connect, you know, I suppose everything from cars to electrical appliances to goods in transit across the world, um, it's really going to revolutionise what we used to be called the Internet of Things, the IoT uh, sector. And, and that really is transformative. So if, if I was to tell you actually I could foresee the future, I'd be lying to you. Because one thing I've learned over the years in this sector is you really can't <laughs> Don't even tell try. <laughs> you don't even try. Yeah, who, could, who could have foreseen the, you know, the rise of the iPhone even 10, 15 years ago? Um, but I do think we are going to have a transformation in, in business models, a transformation in innovation in terms of the ability for businesses to, to reimagine themselves, re rebuild supply chains, create new business models. Um, and there are some people actually that expect potentially in 10, 15 years, the, the smartphone as a device could actually disappear. Um, that we may, or at least as a primary device, we may no longer access you know, uh, the, the internet through a device in our hand and actually become, become much more voice oriented with embedded technology in our homes. I suppose an evolution from what we have today with the likes of Alexa and, and other types of devices in the home. So, and even for my, my, even my daughter, who's, who's 12, almost refuses to use a keyboard. You know, she, she likes to talk to her device right. to respond back to her. And I think, I think that's going to be very much pervasive in 10, 15 years from now. I think what's almost a novelty now, I think will become the norm. Amazing, amazing. Well, listen, it's been a fascinating topic. I'd like to thank all my guests. Uh, Andy O'Donoghue, technology journalist, Phil Codd, managing director of Explio, and Liam O'Brien, Vodafone Ireland's director of strategy and corporate affairs. Thank you all for your wisdom and indeed your contribution. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Bobby. Back on track with Bobby Kerr. And now we speak to someone who's had to change their business in reaction to COVID-19 pandemic and its centres on technology. Gary Green of Gary Green Accountancy and Taxation Services. Good to have you on the podcast, Gary. Thanks very much, Bobby. Thanks very much. You might explain your business to us if you would, please. Yes, yes um, <clears throat> Gary Green is the name of the company, Gary Green Accounting and Taxation Services. We were established in 2009 there. We're based in the old Dunster Bank building in, in St. Patrick Street in Castlery there. Our client base there would be, um, 80% of our clients would be farm accounts. We deal with small and medium businesses. Uh, companies, people in the hotel and the hospitality industry. We do a lot of uh, payroll management there, in particular that was very vital there under the COVID wage subsidy thing, VAT processing for clients. We do a lot of work with Bank of Ireland in agri-loan applications, small and medium thing where we do business plans, um, all cash flows, projections and everything because banks are, are looking for a lot of extra work now in order to stress test a loan or someone entitled to a loan. So um, it was, um, so we, a lot of our work is, and also we do a lot of work in with solicitors in, in inheritance ta and business, our tax planning there, inheritance tax advice and a lot of, because of our client base is um, farmers is, in these issues around transferring the family farm and all that. So we come in and give advice there to clients and work with solicitors closely and all on those issues there and um, because it's very important there. So Gary, then how did you how did you have to change, I suppose, your business model 
when COVID-19 uh, hit. You, you talked there about farmers, uh, a lot of stuff moving online. Um, what did you have to do in order to, I suppose, fulfil demand of your clients and customers? Basically, the first thing we done there, we set up, we in we worked with our IT company um, to set up remote access there for our staff there that they could work remotely there because, and also we set up a, a WhatsApp group there amongst our staff that there are staff would come if they work remotely they could link up. Also, we we linked up with uh, one of our air our providers or technology that we could communicate with our clients and by text SME messages there that give them that if you know and by email there we looked at all our clients there we went through each client clients that had emails and that could contact us by emails there okay and how how is uh, you know the remote working have you any concerns Gary around things like productivity monitoring who's doing what and when or has it all been sort of seamless in relation to your own employees? I suppose I'll talk from my own. I worked, I, for me, working remotely there, it was very challenging for me for for the simple reason there. My broadband was very poor. Right. right? We had to change providers in the middle of it, which was very challenging in, in itself. I have six young children as well, so to try and, Managed that with my wife homeschooling with six children as well, and she did a brilliant job on that. But to try, it was challenging in that sense to try and work two days from home and then come back into the office. Because we were essential service, we were allowed to come into the office, but we had to work. Our building is big. We were able to have, you know, one staff member assigned to each room that there was right. no interaction between staff. And, you know, so there was we, three of them opted to or four of the the nine members of staff opted to work from home so we had to set up that remote act so remote act remote working there so that was a challenge with some people had no broadband so they weren't able to work remotely at all so that's an issue where you live down the country here um where broadband in certain parts of the county is very poor okay remote working wasn't possible for two of our staff there so they, they they one or two of them had to, to come into the office there and they wanted to work, you know. And the challenges I found there is, I suppose, productivity. Yes, I've, I'm blessed with a very good staff there that they work. There's a great trust relationship. This, my staff is there since I started there. And um, I think that's a huge element of trust and we communicate with them directly. We also, it has, and also what I have seen, some team viewer meetings there where we're, we kind of, our skill thing improved on that, and but that only worked inside because there's good broadband in okay. the town in Castlebury <clears throat> there, Bobby, you know. And finally then, Gary, I suppose, you know, do you feel now you've found a new way? In other words, the that your business has transitioned to this, Absolutely. I suppose, new way of doing business, and it, is it forever? I think it's going to be here. I think we'll have to live with this uh, COVID. Um, we'll have to understand be able to work with it but there's still going to be challenges like we had five people in yesterday in our office there say they were on the pub payment they have no broadband they weren't able and one of the they were able to apply for the the pandemic payment there through a paper format but in order to either come off it 
or extended. They had to have a My Welfare account. And some of my clients would have no internet or no broadband, so they'd have to come into my office here, set up a My Welfare account. We do it for them to help them out there. You know, so that yeah. that was challenging at there. So some people we've moved people on to getting them on the internet, which would be easier for um, connecting with them. You know, but it was very challenging because, of, particularly for some of our clients, would be age profile that wouldn't have the internet or they wouldn't familiar with that. You know, yeah. to connect with them. But we made a conscious decision: look at our client <clears throat> base there and can even ring them. Yeah. How are they getting on in, in the course of this uh, COVID thing there? You and, know? and just very finally, you mentioned Bank of Ireland there. Yes. Has there been a big increase in small businesses seeking loans from absolutely. your experience, Gary? Yeah, absolutely, yes. You know, and I think that's the, the where Bank of Ireland have come in very strongly, having a good team behind them. Uh, I work very closely with um, Sean and, and, and Marie and there's the business lending manager there in, in Roscommon there where right. they're very supportive and particularly with the agri sector, the small business there on understanding and in lending there. If you have a well-prepared plan there or business plan there, accounts, projections and everything there, they will work with you and I found them very cooperative in okay. that and out of the way, going out of the way to, to okay. help, to well, help look. businesses there, Bobby. Thank you very much, Gary, and your insights into your business, uh, Gary Green, Accountancy Taxation and Accountancy Service, particularly dealing with the the, the, the uh, farming sector. Very, very insightful. Gary, thanks a million. And a big thanks indeed to all my guests. And you can download the podcast on the News Talk app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much. Back on track with Bobby Kerr. Thanks to Bank of Ireland. We can, we will begin. Uh-huh.